0: Hello and welcome to the Refugee Voices Scotland podcast, my name is Ken Gordon. As you will know if you've listened to our previous shows, the UK is the only country in Europe that routinely detains people indefinitely. People in detention cannot leave. They live in prison-like conditions within detention centres. The majority of people detained are eventually released, but many never really recover from the trauma. Scottish Detainee Visitors is a Scottish charity that supports people detained by the Immigration Service in Scotland and through its work and projects it also influences government policy on detention. Scottish Detainee Visitors have visited over a thousand people offering support, understanding and a lifeline to the outside world. In addition to the visiting, they have a range of services and projects and they're looking for volunteers. So check out their website at sdv.org.uk. That website will be repeated in the show and in the show notes. This podcast was recorded on the 24th of May 2019. I spoke to Director Kate Alexander in their Glasgow office and I'll give you an update on their latest news at the end.
1: Refugee Voices Scotland. Refugees in their own words. I'm here with
0: Kate Alexander, who's a director of Scottish detainee visitors. Kate, hi. Hi. We're high above the streets of Glasgow if we anyone's are. wondering what the, the background noise is and if the emergency services approach. <laughs> it's nothing to do with us. Kate, when did Scottish Datini Visitors start?
1: Well, it started as a project within Scottish Refugee Council when Dungable first opened as a detention centre in 2001. Uh, one of the, This was before my time, but I believe one of the community development workers set up a visiting scheme to the people who were held in Dungavel um, and ran it as a project within SRC for a while. And then a year later in 2002, we constituted it as a separate organisation. So it's been running as a separate charity since 2002 and for the entire time that Dungavel's been detaining people.
0: How many visitors do you
1: have on the roll? We have um, 25 to 30 at any one time, sometimes a few more, sometimes a few less. Mm-hmm. It kind of waxes and wanes a little through the year. We have a lot of students who are visitors, so mm. sometimes in the summer they drift off, but it doesn't prevent us managing to run two visits every week to Dungaville.
0: And just as a bit of a spoiler to the end of this podcast, <laughs> If people want to be a visitor, visit your website.
1: Visit our website. We recruit um, visitors two or three times a year mm. and all the information is there on the website and we will we announce it on social media as well.
0: OK, we'll give the website out at the end. What is involved mm. in visiting?
1: Well, Dungavel, for people who've never been there, is way out in the countryside. It's um, six miles south of Straven, in the middle of nowhere. If you didn't know it was there you wouldn't see it as you passed on the road. There's no bus route there. The nearest train station is 15 miles away. So one of the things is about the difficulty of getting there. So what we do as a group is visit um, Dungable in groups of up to five in shared cars. And we go twice a week. You ask for the people that you want to see, you go into the visits room and you chat. There's things that we want to ensure that we do Um, We want to make sure that everybody we see has a lawyer, understands the circumstances that they're in, is doing okay, but the core of what we do is social and practical support. We can provide people with um, top-ups for their phones, those sorts of things. So it's social visits with some practical help and assistance and signposting to other services, really, is what we do. Okay, and how long does a visit last? We go in the evenings and we usually arrive at about um, 7 o'clock. Admin at Dungable can be a little uh, time-consuming, so we usually get into the visits room at about 7.30 and we have an hour in there. Okay. Visits end at 8.30. So we've got an agreement with the staff at the centre that we can ask for up to three people to see for each visitor. So, assuming we've got three people in the car, we could potentially see nine people in in that in that time. And sometimes, um, quite often, in fact, it's quite a social affair. People come down, we'll talk together in a group, and we'll just chat. There's a lot of football chat goes on quite often. Um, sometimes, and our visitors have to be quite skilled to pick this up. You'll notice that somebody's not taking part so much, and mm. you'll maybe deduce that they need some time to talk to a visitor by themselves. And it's it's possible to move in the visits room to a quiet area and give people a one-to-one visit. You may or may not know that women are also detained at Dungable as well as men, and there's only 14 spaces for women and 235 for men. So that ratio can be quite challenging, I think, for the women um, detained there. So we often try and prioritise women... For visits, like many organisations that rely on volunteers, we have we tend to have more women volunteers than men. So it's usually possible for us to do a one-to-one with a woman who's in detention and a woman visitor. So um, basically, our visitors have to be prepared for anything when they when they go down there. Often, as I say, it can be quite a social, pleasant experience. Sometimes it can be more challenging than that, and generally it's difficult to go to somewhere like Dungavel. I mean, to be faced with what it is that we do to people who come to this country, I think can be quite upsetting for our visitors. It's far more upsetting to be detained. But I don't know whether uh, listeners will know that in the UK, uniquely in Europe, while we're still in Europe, there's no time limit on detention. So one of the really cruel things. In fact, the cruelest thing about detention is that people go there and have no idea when they'll, when they'll leave and they don't know how they'll leave either. They don't know whether they will be immediately taken off to a country that they don't want to go to or languish in detention for weeks, months and sometimes even years. So it's a it's a very, very difficult, mentally stressful situation to be in detention um I mean we see people I've just been doing my, my annual stats for last year <clears throat> and there were a couple of people that we saw last year who we did see for almost the entire year and for all that time they don't know how long they're going to be there when you're in prison you do know um you know when you'll get out you know that if you keep your nose clean you'll get out halfway through your sentence in detention you just don't know that and it really takes its It's very difficult to plan anything, it's very difficult to use your time in any sort of constructive way because it just, you know, spreads out before you, with the possibility of um, a very brutal ending to your detention. Having said that, although the government um, claim that the purpose of detention is to remove people with no right to be in the country, from the country, consistently that doesn't happen. Of over the last several years, three, four years, fewer than 50% of the people who leave detention leave because they're removed from the country. Meaning, obviously, that more than 50% are released back into the community. So you've got to ask yourself, why are they detained in the first place? What's it for? And I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So that's been happening, as I say, for years, and the figures were just out today, um, the latest figures, and it's the same thing again. More people were released into the community than were than were removed from the country. So it's not even doing what the government says that it's supposed to do.
0: In your blog, did it, was a figure even showing that the number of people detained is decreasing year on year? Is that correct?
1: It does seem to be going down. The government have been over the last few years. The government have been under enormous pressure to reduce the numbers in detention, and they have been doing so slowly. They've. Closed a number of detention centres. They made an attempt to close Dungaville but failed. So the detention estate has got smaller over the last few years, and they do appear to be detaining fewer fewer people. The latest figures show that in the year to the um, end of March 2019, eight percent fewer people entered detention than in the previous year, and on the 31st of March this year there were a third fewer people actually in detention on that day than on the same day the previous year. So they are reducing it. However, one of the the other things that the figure shows is that around half of the people who were in detention at that point um, had been detained for more than 28 days. So one of the things that organisations like ours have been trying to suggest to the government is what we need is a time limit. And at a stroke, they could reduce by half the number of people detained if they were to introduce a 28 day time limit which is what many organizations are calling for.
0: And there's currently a petition going. We've got we've got a web link that we'll we'll mention there is. well let's mention it now. If you visit the web, the liberty website that's liberty.e-activist.com. Mm-hmm. That's liberty.e-activist.com. You can sign the petition. It's still open. Yep. Now, lots of people
1: have signed it. Lots of people have signed it. Over 70,000 people have signed it. And you know I've been working in this field or volunteering and working in this field for about 15 years now and I've never been more hopeful that we will get meaningful detention reform. When I started volunteering all those those years ago, you never saw anything about detention and it was certainly never talked about in Parliament, you didn't see anything in the news and it seems to me that never a day goes by now when there's not something about detention in the papers. Detention reform has cross-party support in the UK Parliament. The uh, Lib Dems, Labour, SNP, Greens have all pledged to introduce a time limit if they get into power. Um, The Tories haven't, but there are individual Tories who are very supportive of detention reform. I mean, it just makes sense. It's humane, it's it's more humane, it would save money, and coupled with community-based alternatives to detention, it would just work better all the evidence from abroad shows that community based alternatives to detention with detention very much as a last resort are increase compliance with negative decisions but they also assist integration if people get a positive decision at the end of their immigration case so it works for everyone really at the moment we've got this system that's so adversarial
0: Do you have an example of what a community-based alternative would be?
1: Basically what we're talking about when we talk about community-based alternatives are approaches which engage with somebody with immigration problems in the community. So somebody who would, using a case management approach, which is an approach borrowed from social work really, um, working with that person to look at the options that they have, to go through the system with them. And what it does is ensure that people feel that they've had their case looked at properly, that they've been through a fair system, that they've been supported along the way. And as I say, these kind of systems which operate across Europe and in Australia and in places like Canada, do work for both the government and for the applicant because they improve integration when people, because people have already been living in the community, they've been connected with somebody who's their caseworker and they're ready to go if they get a positive decision. If they get a negative decision, as I say, they feel that they've been through a fairer process and people tend to comply with the the decision and will leave voluntarily rather than having this adversarial system where people have to go into detention and be removed forcibly. So they do operate very effectively in a number of countries who have far less use of detention than us. And one of the important things to remember is that even in the UK, Um, for certain categories of people the government can manage its immigration systems without detention. Children can't be detained for any more than 72 hours or a week if the Secretary of State approves that extension. The same applies to pregnant women. Doesn't mean we aren't deporting children with families, sadly, but what I'm trying to get across there is that that is managed by working with those families and without the use of detention. The way they work with them at the moment isn't great, but you know, but they can manage the system without detention for certain categories of people, and I would argue that it's perfectly possible to do it for all categories of people.
0: Okay. Kate, you do lots of different projects as well, going by your website.
1: Yeah. As well as visiting, we uh, have a life after detention group. As I said earlier, uh, a lot of people are actually released from detention, some of them into Glasgow, often into quite difficult circumstances and our Life After Detention group is there to to assist. And uh, what my colleague Shirley, who runs the group, does is do some initial casework with people when, they, um, when they're released, make sure that they're plugged into the organisations that can help them. And then the group operates as a source of peer support for people in similar circumstances, and also for a space for creative activities and for joint activities, trips and so forth, but they've been particularly strong on the creative activities and actually the group has been involved with another project that we've been working on which is in conjunction with a theatre company, Ice and Fire, and that's called Detention Dialogues and it's basically it's verbatim theatre, it's based on interviews with people talking about their experiences of detention and then that interview material is turned into a script that uses Um, people's own words to describe the experiences of detention and it's a really nice way of allowing the voices of people to be heard without exposing the individuals themselves who may not want to be up in the limelight and it's been a really successful project for us. It's something we've taken to festivals, we had a little radio slot during refugee festival last year, we're taking it into schools um, and are open to suggestions of other places to, to take it. I think people who see it do find it a really powerful experience? Um, I
0: completely agree. I saw it at Springfield last go. year, and it was <laughs> it was so powerful. There was there was just heavy silence in the yeah. room when yeah. the performance finished. Yeah. Before we started discussing it, yeah. it is re- highly recommended.
1: I think what's interesting about it as well is it is that I mean, there's a number of different dialogues telling a number of different people's stories, but they've all come through detention through a different route. So some have been through the asylum system, some have come from. Um, Prison. Some have come, you know, f- perhaps have overstayed a work visa. Some have very complicated histories, and I think that's one of the things that that we find when we visit people in Dunvegan. People come from all sorts of different different backgrounds and stories.
0: Okay, so everyone should look out for that ice and fire theatre. Yep. Kate, you you also get heavily involved in policy work.
1: Yes, we do. I think one of our one of our roles is very much to raise awareness of detention and to advocate for reform, mm. um, and we do that in several ways. Um, We're members of Detention Forum, which is a group of around 30 voluntary sector organisations, mainly voluntary sector organisations, who've come together to organise on this issue. We also have connections with MSPs in the, the Scottish Parliament who are very interested in detention, many of them, although obviously immigration is a reserved matter, so they don't have responsibility for it, but many of them are very concerned that it's happening in Scotland without any Scottish control over, over what goes on there, so they're very interested in our work and in the ways in which the devolved aspects of policy can be used to bring some pressure to bear on the Home Office. So we work with the Scottish Parliament, we've had a number of meetings at the Parliament, and we use our social media platforms to very much campaign specifically on a time limit and on community-based alternatives, these are our key areas. Okay that we want to see reform in.
0: And if there's one thing that someone should take away from listening to this podcast, Mm
1: -hmm. what would it be? It would be to find out more, and you can do that by looking at our website. Mm -hmm. I'd also urge you if you agree with me that indefinite detention is wrong and should stop, I'd urge you to write to your MP. You'll find that some of them might be quite receptive and tell them that you would like to see an end to indefinite detention and sign the Liberty position which also says you'd like to see an end to indefinite detention.
0: And if you're a volunteer and you want to volunteer, what are the key criteria to be eligible to volunteer as a visitor?
1: As a visitor you need to be over 18. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be available to visit at least twice a month for six months. That's what we ask, the commitment we ask of people. And that's it really, you need to be able to attend an induction training session which would take place generally on a Wednesday for most of the day. And that's it, that's all we require. We have an application process, we advertise on social media and on our website, so if people are interested, keep an eye out and we can invite you in to talk about it.
0: Kate, thanks so much for taking time to speak to me.
1: You're welcome. (laughs) We make podcasts that capture refugee stories.
0: You can find Scottish detainee visitors at www.stv.org.uk. Full details on how to apply to be a volunteer are on the website. As well as visitor volunteers, they often look for other kinds of volunteers to help. So check it out. That interview you just heard was recorded back in May this year. So last week I asked Kate for an update and any news. With the prorogation of Parliament, the immigration bill that was going through Parliament has fallen, but a new bill will be needed for the new session, as something is going to have to deal with the immigration implications of Brexit. This may provide an opportunity to get some calls for detention reform through Parliament, specifically for a 28-day time limit. There's also a recent motion in the Scottish Parliament highlighting alternatives to detention, and suggesting Scotland as an ideal place to pilot them. Again, we'll just have to wait and see how this all plays out. The UK Lesbian and Gay Immigration Group are currently running a campaign with the hashtag LendYourVoice, highlighting the issues for LGBT people in detention. There's a petition to sign and films and info being shared on social media, so search hashtag lendyourvoice for more information. Starting in October, Scottish detainee visitors will be taking part in the annual Unlocking Detention social media tour of detention in the UK. Details aren't available or finalised as to what form the tour will take, so follow Scottish detainee visitors on all your social media so you can keep up to date with what's happening. There will be opportunities to get involved in an ongoing campaign for a time limit to detention. As ever, all links and relevant websites and other things will be in the show notes on the web pages that we publish this podcast on. Please remember that if you're a refugee or an asylum seeker who has something on your mind, if you run a refugee or asylum seeker support project and want to tell us about it in our podcast, contact us on refugeevoicescotland at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at RefVoicesScot and we're also on Facebook. And subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.